the name. It defines you. We're talking about identity, and we're looking at Acts chapter 3 through Acts chapter 10, where we really get the name of Jesus and the power that's in the name of Jesus to transform individuals and communities and lives and birth the church. And as we go through these passages, we're thinking about our own identity. Well, what identifies you? What identity do you ascribe to? If, if people ask you, who are you? What identity do you have? How do you see yourself? And how do other people see you? Because I'm convinced that the way you see yourself and the way that other people see you, the way you see yourself is going to affect who you, live, who you are and how you live. I was just talking to a, a, a child, a young person out in the uh, gathering area, and she was asking about the sermon. I just said, listen, if we find our identity in Christ, we're going to live a certain way in this world. We're going to know we're a son or daughter of God. We're a child of God. We're going to live out that identity. If we don't know that, what's going to happen? We're going to find our identity in what that girl over there thinks of us or what our teacher thinks of us or what our, how our relationship with our parents are, is this day. And our, our, all of our life is going to be like this. Right? Like, I'm doing great because this person likes me. Oh, I'm doing bad because this person doesn't like me anymore. Uh, when we have an identity that's rooted in Christ, it gives a foundation for this abundant life that we've been talking about, living out this gospel life. Now, we live in a world where people are challenging identity, exploring identity, struggling for identity. In the, the historic areas of life where we used to find identity, people are questioning you know, we used to find our identity in our nationality, like I'm an American, and that brings us all together. We're all united around that because we're all Americans in this group. Or we found our, our identity in um, uh, our profession. You know, I'm a doctor, or I'm a lawyer, or in my case, I'm a pastor. Or we found our identity in our racial identity, or we found our identity in our marital status, or we found our identity in one of these other areas of life. And right now, people are, they're saying, do, do I want, do I, do I really connect with that identity? Or do I have a different identity? What is my identity? And so I want you to ask yourself this question. What identifies you? What identity do you ascribe to? Where do you find your identity? If someone were to ask you, if someone were to walk up to you and ask you, you know, we're in a small group and we're going around and we're saying, hey, tell, you a little, tell me a little about yourself. Hi, I'm Todd. I'm, what, would, what would you say about yourself? What would other people say about you? What identifies you? Of course, in different contexts, our identity is a little bit different. My primary identity for most of my life is Pastor Todd. You all know me as Pastor Todd, right? I became a full-time pastor 28 years ago. And when I first became a full-time pastor, I was really uncomfortable with that identity. I, my first church I was appointed to, I was 26 years of age, and the average age in the church was probably 75 to 80. And so these people that were three times older than me were coming up to me and saying, Pastor, and I was like, oh, you're talking to me, you know? I'm used to having pastors who are much older than me, and I'm not used to being a pastor. It took a long time to really feel comfortable with that name. But now I've been Pastor Todd for more than half of my life, and now it's like that is almost my entire identity. I see myself as pastor. In fact, I've been known to answer emails to my kids or even to write birthday cards, Pastor Todd. I think my niece got a birthday card and I signed it, Pastor Todd, and I had to scratch out the pastor and put Uncle Todd because I don't, 
It's, I feel like a pastor more often than an uncle. You ever done that where one of those identities you have slips into another area of your life? But all of us have different identities. For most of you, my identity is Pastor Todd. Uh, I also at home am a husband or a father, less so as a father now. My kids no longer call me daddy or dad. They call me Todd, so that's on them. I know it's weird, weird for me at least. Again, I'm trying to live in this new identity. Um, on the ski slope, you know, I'm a, I'm a volunteer ski patroller on Fridays in the winter. And on the ski slope, I'm wearing the jacket so it identifies me. But I go up to people and I say, I'm Todd. I'm a ski patroller here at Mass Nutton Ski Resort. Um, I also have another identity, and that's David. How many of you guys knew that I, my name is David? few of you. My, my given name is David. My parents named me David Todd Schlechty, and not one day in my life have they called me David. But they named me David Todd Schlechty. And so on the business side of life, not business is a little bit strong. I don't have any business. On the, on the financial side of life, all those people, my bank, my credit union, my mortgage company, they all know me as David. So I always know when the phone rings and somebody asks for David, they're looking for money. I'm like, no, no David here. But we all have different identities. We, we are identity at work or identity in a church or in our identity in relationships. What is the primary identity that gives your life meaning? What is the primary way that you see yourself? We're going to look today at a story from Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. And, and this story is about a, a man who we don't know very much about. But the Bible describes him in two ways to let us know his identity. Number one, the Bible describes him as a paralyzed man. It, it describes him as lame since his mother's womb. And the other way that it describes him is it describes him as a beggar who sat day after day at the beautiful gate to the temple. That's this man's identity. That's how he was known throughout his life, as a paralyzed man and as a beggar. That was his identity. But one day, his identity was transformed in the name of Jesus Christ. That's what this story is about. It's most of Acts chapter 3 we're going to talk about today. And in Acts chapter 3, his life was transformed. He became a new person. He took on a new identity because of what Jesus did in his life. Now, this morning, as I tell this story, let me go ahead and read you the first six verses but as I tell this story, I want to step into a different identity. Let me read this for you first, and then I'll tell you about that. Verses 1 through 6, it says, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the ninth hour, the hour of prayer. Ninth hour is 3 p.m. The Hebrew, ancient Hebrew day started at 6 a.m. So the ninth hour was 3 p.m. This is the afternoon hour of prayer. And a man who had been lame from his mother's womb was being carried along, whom they used to set down every day at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful, in order to beg alms of those who are entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he began asking to receive alms. But Peter, along with John, fixed his gaze on him and said, look at us. And he began to give them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I do not possess silver or gold, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, walk. 
Can you imagine? The, the scripture later says this man was over 40 years of age. And on that day, in the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, his identity, his whole life was the crippled man who sat and begged at the gate called beautiful. In one moment, in one day, his life was transformed. He became a new person, a new life. And I believe the scriptures here, not just so we'll know that the name of Jesus is powerful, it's there for that reason. I think it's here, not just so we'll know that God does good things in people's lives in Jesus' names and miracles in people's lives, but I think it's here to challenge us to think about our identity. Has our identity been changed? Have we ever had anybody say to us in the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, walk? In the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, the Nazarene, be different. You're a new creature. And so this morning, I'm going to ask for uh, your patience, uh, your understanding. In order to tell this story differently, what I like to do is step into a new identity. This will be different for most of us, including myself in church. But I'm going to step off stage for a second. And when I come back, you won't be able to recognize me. I'm going to be a new person, okay? So I'll be back in just a minute. As I said, I'm not who you think I am. I'm a, I'm a new person. I'm a new man. My life was changed. My life is different. I have a different identity. If you knew me before, you would be shocked right now because, uh, well, I, I'm a different person than I used to be. The truth is, is that my life was cursed. It was cursed. I see you looking at me like, that's a bit dramatic, okay? I mean, I'm sure we all got problems in life, but cursed, that's a little strong. No, my life was cursed. That's what the rabbis told my parents when they introduced me to the rabbis when I was eight days old and they took me to be circumcised. The rabbis said, your son is a curse. He's a curse on you because of some secret sin in your life or in your parents' life. Your son is like this because of a curse. That, that's, what they, that's what they told my parents. That my life, my existence, my purpose on this earth was somehow to God leveling the scales of justice between sin and God's righteousness. That I am, was the way I was because because God cursed me, my family, because of some secret sin in my parents' life. As a kid, the neighbors in our little village, we lived just outside Jerusalem on the east side of Jerusalem, the neighbor families would sit around and speculate what it was, right? 
what my mom had done or what my father might have done. And they would, they, they, oh, I remember old grandpa, what he used to do. I bet that was it, that they ended up with me. Like I said, my, my life was a curse. As a kid, I used to dream what life might be like if I were like all the other kids, right? If I were different, if I were typical, if I were the average child. Because like I say, I was nothing like that. I was none of that. I, people, everyone knew me as the boy that was born paralyzed from the day I was born cursed. The kids from my village, sometimes they would play in the little dirt path out in front of my house and my mom would take me out and she would set me out in front of the house at the entrance of our house at the doorpost. And I'd watch the kids running and leaping and playing their games and I would, part of me would dream, what would it have been like if I weren't like this? What would it be like if I were different? But like I say, that, that, that was my life. It's all I knew. When I was a little older, my brothers, they used to go out and help my dad. We uh, had a field. My dad raised barley and wheat, and we had a flock of sheep. And so they would go out and they'd shepherd the sheep. They'd take them out to pasture. They'd help my dad in tilling the fields and picking the, the grain out of the fields. And I would dream, what would it have been like if I could be out there helping, if I could do that? But again, that was not my identity. That was not possible. That was not not me. When I was a little older, my brothers, they came to the age where they would go up to the threshing floor with my dad. In the harvest time of the year, all the men, when they were done gathering up their barley and gathering up their wheat, they would take it to the hill above the, the village, the, to the threshing floor there. And there they would thresh out their, their, uh, uh, their grain and, uh, and they would spend uh, two or three days up there. They would take wine with them. They'd sit around the campfire. They would camp. They'd tell stories. And my brothers would come home, and they'd tell me the stories of, of, of what they were sharing up there. And, I, man, I just, I, I just dreamed, what would it be like to be different, to be a new person, to have a new life? But, again, that wasn't for me. And whether it was the rabbis or the priests or the neighbors or they all, even my own parents, told me, that's not your life. The priests, though we only lived a, a mile or so from the temple, told me I wasn't allowed in the temple. That somehow my cursed body would curse that holy place, that my unclean touch would make that holy place unclean. And so I never really went up to the temple until I was about nine or ten years of age. When I was that age, my dad came to me and he said, you're going to have to learn how to take care of yourself. You're not going to be a shepherd like your brothers. You're not going to be a farmer like your brothers. And so he put me in a cart and he pushed me up the hill to the temple. Like I said, it's less than a mile away, really. And he sat me down at the, what we call the beautiful gate. The priests call it Nicanor. That's the proper name, I guess. Nicanor gate is beautiful. We call it the beautiful gate because it has this beautiful bronze uh, doors to the gate. And, uh, and he sat me down there at the beautiful gate. It's the gate that 
that people would enter from the east and they would, from the, that gate, they could go directly into the courts, the court of the Gentile, and then the court of the women and the court of the men. They'd go directly into the temple. And so they sat, he sat me down there at the, at the gates to the temple. And he told me, as people go by and they are on their way to worship, they're worshiping Yahweh, call out to them, you know. Do you have a coin? Do you have a Lipton for, that's our, our smallest coin. Do you have a Lipton for a poor, paralyzed beggar? You know, for over 30 years, that was my life. Every day, six days a week, two times a day, the morning prayer at 9 a.m., the afternoon prayer at 3 p.m., I would sit there, and as people walked in and out of worship, I'd cry out to them. When my father got so old that he couldn't carry me there, my brothers would take me. Sometimes when they couldn't, their friends would take me. Oftentimes I'd stay there all day long. Other times they could come and get me in between. Or if they were going to the temple, they'd take me to the temple. They'd take me and then bring me back. But that was my life for over 30 years until I was over 40 years of age. That was my identity. That's all I knew. I was the crippled man that sat at the beautiful gate. That's how people knew me. Everybody, I mean, everybody comes to Jerusalem to go to the temple for the festivals. Everybody knew me as that's the crippled man that stands, sat, sat at the gate and begged. On cold days, I would take a blanket so that my lifeless legs and feet didn't frostbite on hot days, I'd try to get there early if I could and try to get a spot in, under the shade uh, of the walls themselves to try to protect my skin from sunburn. On a really good day, I could make as much as a denarius. That's what a hired hand would make in my dad's fields for a day. On, on a bad day, I might make nothing but a few insults and a sunburn. But that was my life. That was all I knew. Like I said, that was my identity. Then one day, everything changed. I was, like I said, I was over 40 years of age, and I saw these two men. They were walking up to the temple to pray. It was the afternoon prayer meeting. It was just before 3, what we say, the ninth hour. And these two men were walking by, and I I'd recognized them because they'd been coming to the temple for several weeks, several months probably by this point. And I knew they were Galilean because I'd heard them talking. And sometimes there was a big group of them that would come and they would talk. And I heard their accent. I knew they were Galilean. Now, you may not realize this, but not all Judeans are real fond of the Galileans. They're, well, the, the rumor is, the, the stereotype is they're a little backwards, you know. But when you're a person like me, you know, well, let me say it this way, beggars can't be choosers. And so I, 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 I called out to them. I just saw the two of them entering, and I was like, brothers, Israelites, can you spare a coin, a, a Lipton for a poor beggar? They did something that nobody ever does. I'm 30 years I sat there. I'll tell you, what people do is that they walk by you and ignore you. 
or they walk by you and they throw you a coin, nobody ever stops. Nobody ever talks to you. Why would they, right? They're on their way to worship the God of Israel, right? They're not there to talk to you. They're there to meet God, right? And, and here I am, this cursed man sitting over by the gate. Why would they want to get close to me? They're trying to get close to what's holy, what's God, you know? So nobody ever stopped. These two men, they just stopped. Just stopped. Like, like, like I was more important than, than their worship. They just stopped. And they started walking over to me. I was thinking, oh, you know, I mean, usually we think Galileans don't have any money, but they might, maybe they have something big to give me. So I'm looking at them. And the, the big guy says to me, he says, look at us. So I'm looking directly at them, and they're looking at me. Again, nobody ever looks at me. They're just kind of moving. They're looking directly at me, and I'm looking at them. He says, look at us. And then he says something strange. He says, silver and gold we don't have. Well, I'm thinking, you're wasting your own time and my time then, right? What are we even doing here? This is silver and gold we don't have, but what we do have, we'll give you. And I'm thinking, what are they going to give me? I was hoping it wasn't like a kick in the back, you know. Silver and gold we don't have, but what we do have, we give you. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up and walk. Well, like I say, nobody's real fond of the Galileans, but the Nazarenes, they're the worst. But I'd heard about this guy, Jesus, before, the the priests had said that the guy Jesus, the Nazarene, was going to tear down the temple, destroy our worship. I remember that they said that they turned him over to Pilate. Pilate hung him on a cross. So I'd heard these stories. By the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up and walk. I'm sitting there. I'm just trying to figure it out. I'm just like, what in the world does that mean? You know, I'm just sitting there. I'm just figuring out what. But before I could even really process what they were saying, the, the big guy, his name was Peter, I found out later. We call him Cephas, but his name is Peter. He, he reached down and he grabbed me by the arm and he pulled me up. And for the first time in my life, again, I'm telling you, I was over 40 years of age. For the first time in my life, I was standing. He was holding me at first, but then he let go of me and I was standing there. Next to these two guys, their name is Peter and John. I'm standing there, and, and, and the feeling for the first time in my, in my life, in my, starting my feet and in my calves and my thighs and my hips, all of a sudden, I, I've, I felt it. I was standing. And then before long, I took a step, and then another step, and then I was walking. And after a bit, I started running, and I was leaping, and I was like, Praise Yahweh. Thank you, Yahweh. Thank you, God. I couldn't believe it. Nobody could believe it. Everyone's like, what is going on? And I was running around, and then it hit me. I'm a new person. I've, I'm changed. They, they can't keep me out of the temple anymore. And I go into the temple. First time in my life I've been in the temple. I go into the temple. And I'm there in the middle of worship, and all these people, hundreds of people, are coming up to me. And they're all saying the same thing, right? Aren't you the, the crippled beggar that sat at the beautiful gate? Isn't that you? What happened to you? And I'm, I'm just like, 
it was God, I don't know. They're like, but who did this to you? Who, what happened? And I was like, there were these two men, these Galileans. They did this to me. And they're like, who are these guys? And I'm like, the, remember the Galileans? They were here and, you know, it's not like it's easy to identify these people. And so everyone's like, who did this? And everyone wants to know. Well, on the way out of the temple, I see him. It's Peter. I recognize him. And so I go right up to him. And I'm hanging on him. I'm hugging him. I'm like, Peter, you're amazing. Look at what you did. You gave me a new life. You gave me a new identity. And you're amazing. It wasn't just me. Hundreds of people were started gathering around Peter and John. And they were all saying, you guys are incredible. Can you do this for me? Can you do this? And they're all, everyone's asking. They're like, you guys are amazing. You guys are the best. You're the most powerful teachers, the most powerful people in the world. Everyone's saying the same thing. And Peter, after a while, he's like, quiet. Shh. What are you doing? What are you saying? And then he says this, and I want to get his words right, so let me, let me read it for you. He says this, he says, Men of Israel, why are you amazed at this? Or why do you gaze at us as if by our own power or piety we made him walk. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus, the one whom you delivered and disowned in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you disowned the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. But put to death the prince of life, the one whom God raised from the dead, a fact to which we are witnesses. And on the basis of faith in his name, it is the name of Jesus which has strengthened this man whom you see and know, and the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect health in the presence of all. And so that's my story. That's... That's my story of what happened to me, of how my identity changed, of how I came to have a new life, a new identity. I can imagine you're sitting there and you're probably wondering, why would he come here today and tell us this story, right? I mean, it's an interesting story, but why come all this distance? Why get all dressed up? Why come to Fairfax Station and tell us this story? What, what does it have to do with us, right? What, what's the meaning for us? And I'm glad that you're asking that question because I asked that question for a long time is what does this mean, right? I knew I, I had a new life, but what does it mean? And Jesus Christ, the Nazarene walk, what does that mean? And I've come to the conclusion I've come to the belief that this isn't just my story, that this story can be every one of our stories, that this story is really a story about every one of us. I'll tell you what I mean. Uh, from the time I was a child, as I tell you, I knew my life was a curse. Everybody told me. It's not something I could hide. Everybody knew that about me. Everybody said that about me. But I've come to believe that in some ways, every one of us is under a curse. 
Now, you're a beautiful-looking group of people. You look like you've got it all put together. You look really great. So I'm not, I'm not pointing any fingers at you, but I've come to believe that every one of us is under a curse, that we're under a curse of sin and death. And it's not because of some secret sin that our parents did or some secret sin that we did or some secret sin that our grandparents did. It's because of our great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandparents, Adam and Eve, who sinned and brought sin and death into the world. And every one of us born of a woman in this world is born into that identity, into that likeness. We're all a little Adam. We're all a little Eve. We all have a little of that. We're born knowing that we're going to die. We're born disconnected from the God who loves us. We're born estranged from the life we were created to have. We're born outside of the garden, outside of the paradise we were expected to live in. We're born cursed. Now, your curse looks different than mine. Some of us, I know, have gotten really good at covering up our curses, of hiding our curses, of dressing up our curses through our religion, through our occupation, through our intelligence, through our titles. A lot of us have gotten so good at it that nobody would look at us and think, oh, that's, <laughs> that's a person that needs a new identity. But I'm telling you, I believe every one of us does. I've talked to some people who've told me, we're not cursed. I've talked to some scribes and some Pharisees. I've told them this story, and they're like, that's not us, that's you. I'm not a curse. I'm not cursed. I can do this. I'm righteous. I just think that some of us have gotten so good at covering that we've even managed to fool ourselves. We've been hiding it so long from the neighbors, hiding it so long from our own family, hiding it so long from ourselves that We've just deceived ourselves. But like I say, all of us created in God's image, all of us loved by God, all of us created for a purpose, but estranged, cursed, unable to reach what God created us for. And then along comes this man, Peter, or someone like this Peter, who says, in the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, in the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, walk. It's an invitation to a new life. It's an invitation to a new identity. It's an invitation to see yourself as a son or a daughter of God, not a son or a daughter of Adam and Eve, not a son and daughter of sin, not a son and daughter destined to death, but a son and daughter destined to life, a son and daughter offered a new identity, a son and daughter invited into God's family. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, walk. That's the, that's the message that changed my life. And I've seen it in other people. I've seen it transform them, change their identity, give them a new life. And so, yeah, so I come and I share this story. I've come a long way to share it with you, but I come and I share this story because I believe it could be your story. Maybe it's been your story. Maybe, like me, you, you know what that's like. You, you, you can remember what it was like before. 
and then to experience that new life, that adoption, that assurance, that new identity. Maybe, maybe you haven't, but I'm here to say that just like that day that it happened for me, today could be the day it happens for you. That every one of us is under a curse, but every one of us is offered a new life in the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, and today can be that day. It may not even be your life. It may be that your marriage feels cursed. It may be that your body feels cursed. It may be that your, your emotional state feels cursed. It may be that your relationships feel cursed. It may be, see, this, this kind of brokenness, this sin, this alienation, it just feeds through all of life. But I'm here to say, in the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, it can be new. You can be different. You can have a new life. And so I'd love to just pray with you, pray for you as uh, I close this morning. And just pray that whatever that area of life is right now where you feel what I used to feel, that longing that life might be different, that just that, that, that dream that it could be new, it could be different, I could be changed. I'd just like to pray that in that area of your life, you would hear what that man Peter said to me. In the name of Jesus Christ, walk. Let's pray. Lord God, we just thank you that wherever we are, whatever identity we ascribe to, whatever we think of ourselves or however we see ourselves, however our neighbors see us or the church sees us or our friends see us or our people at work see us, that, Lord, there's a truth about every one of us, that you created every one of us for your good purposes, and yet every one of us have fallen short of that. But I thank you, Lord, that in the name of Jesus Christ, you have come to offer us new life, that you came down from heaven and became like us so that you could make us like you, that you came and identified with humanity so that we might have a new identity in you. And so I pray right now for each one of us in this room and each one of us worshiping online, that, Lord, we might hear those words in the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, walk. And whether that means step into a new life of faith, a new life as a follower of Jesus, or whether that means believe that you can heal that marriage, that you can restore that relationship, that you can fix that child, that you can fix that broken body, that you can give hope. Today, may we experience that resurrecting, renewing, redemptive life that you offer us in the name of Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus Christ, walk. May that become our mantra that, Lord, we may know what it is to walk in newness of life by your grace. In the powerful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.